good morning, everybody. And we're into what is the gospel, and we're into part four now. And uh, the subtitle is Jesus died for the redeemed. And we started to see over the last few weeks some fantastic truths concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ, haven't we? Yeah. And we started to see in these last few sessions that the gospel is only addressed to God's redeemed, and that's going to become fundamentally important for us to understand and to realise the implications of that as we go through this series. But the apostles we also saw were also focused on those God had already redeemed, wasn't he? Remember the Apostle Paul when he went to win some? It was regarding the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ that he was looking and talking to the redeemed. He was firmly focused on the redeemed to ensure that they got their inheritance in that coming kingdom. And we also allowed the author and finisher of our faith, didn't we, to define the gospel. Yeah, He taught the coming time when he would return and establish his kingdom right here on earth. And we've also been seeing that this kingdom is our hope, isn't it? It's not dying and going to heaven. It's this hope of the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ here on earth is our hope. That is our hope. And we saw last week who the lost were, didn't we? We saw them in the parable when Jesus talked in the parable of the lost sheep. We saw again that these were God's sheep who had wandered off and they had God lost and he now was trying to get them under the influence of God, under the influence of the shepherd. Now before we move on today in our full understanding of this gospel, I want us to never forget how God's redeemed get lost. <laughs> Look at Jeremiah chapter 50. We're going to start there. Jeremiah chapter 50 and in verse 6 it says, My people have been lost sheep. Remember we saw that last week? But look at this. Watch how they get lost. Yeah? Watch how they get lost. Their shepherds, their shepherds, those leading, yeah, those who are supposed to be looking after them, have led them astray and caused them to roam on the mountains. Yeah. So where does God firmly put the onus? It's firmly on the shepherd, isn't it? It's firmly on the shepherd. The shepherds are responsible. You see that? And we'll see that as we go through this series, where God lays the blame for the sheep wandering off. Yeah. So they've caused them, the leadership, the shepherds, have caused them to roam on the mountains. They wandered over mountain and hill and what? Forgot. They forgot. Which immediately implies to us that at some point they were in the flock. Yeah? They were walking with the flock, but they forgot and what? Their own resting place. Yeah? And that's where so much of it lies. And we saw it last week, didn't we? Second Corinthians eleven three. But I am afraid that as a serpent serpent deceived even by his cunning, your thoughts will be what? Led astray. Do you see that? It's led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ the Messiah. Yeah, so it's so important for us to fully realize the implications of being led astray. The implications of the shepherds leading people astray, right? But do you see? There's a leading away from Christ. There's a leading away from setting our devotion to Christ the Messiah. And do you see here how God's redeemed get lost? Yeah? Firstly, they're led astray. Remember we saw that some of the redeemed teaching another gospel. Remember that? And by following that other gospel, they're depicted as being those who are deserting Christ. Yeah? That's how we desert Christ. We follow another gospel. And that happens when people get led astray to a distorted gospel. And we have to see that. It's, it's not those who are outsiders that have been referred to in the scriptures. Yeah? It's those who are in the flock, they forget their resting place, and they get led astray by the shepherds. Yeah? But it's important to realize that there is a gospel there. <laughs> but it's a distorted gospel. It's referred to as a distorted gospel. So what do we have to be on the lookout for? We have to be on the lookout for distorted gospels. Yeah? Yeah. And do you notice there who it's referring to as deserting Christ? It's referring here, it's not referring here to those outsiders deserting Christ. It's referring to those in the flock who have been led astray and have wandered off. It's God's own redeemed. Yeah. 
Now, are these people doing it on purpose? Well, many aren't doing it on purpose, but they're still following a gospel. But it's a distorted gospel for the most part. Yeah? It in no way resembles the true gospel of Jesus Christ, which was what? The gospel of his message of the coming kingdom when he returns. Yeah? yeah? We've got to understand that. But do you see that happening anywhere today? <laughs> Where people wander off. They wander off that central message of Jesus Christ. They wander off into a distorted message, a distorted gospel. Yeah? And not actually what he was talking about. Yeah? Because we've got to realize the truth coming from the lips of Jesus Christ are actually the same truth coming from the lips of the Apostle Paul. Why? Because all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And you don't have it in your notes, but 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof and correction. Yeah. That the man of God may be truly furnished unto all good works. Yeah. And that's the purpose of scripture. Yeah. So when we read the voice of Jesus Christ, when we read the words coming from his lips, they've got the same authority as the revelation given to the Apostle Paul. Do you see that? Mm -hmm. That is so important for us to realize. It's not magnifying one word above another word in Scripture. We're going to see that as we go into the Scriptures today, when we go into the Old Testament. These Scriptures hold the same authority as those in the New. So today we're going to see what a challenge lies ahead for all of us. (laughs) There's nothing new there for us, is there? There's a fantastic challenge for us. And if you've started to really think through the implications of what we've been through in the first three sessions of this series, you will start to understand the huge paradigm shift that we've got coming and already have in terms of our understanding of the scriptures, right? And believing some of these truths, yeah? So we're going to look further into this fantastic truth that God's word is only addressed to God's redeemed, yeah? And I can almost guarantee you, you haven't actually... And we all haven't, just to some extent, understood the implications of that. Yeah, But we're going to see that Jesus only came for those who God gave him. And we've started to see some of that. He only came to those God has given him. Yeah, And we're going to see it again today. That God's focus is squarely on his redeemed. Exactly where our focus is to be. That sounds easy, doesn't it? <laughs> but just watch the resistance we'll get when we teach this message. Yeah? Now today, is again, is going to be a challenging time for us to challenge the paradigms that we've all grown comfortable with. Yeah, But the minute we feel comfortable, we should be asking ourselves some real questions. Why are we feeling comfortable? Yeah, There should be an element of discomfort in all of our walks. Yeah, Because it's a striving, isn't it? It's agonizomai. And that agonizomai is partly coming back and reconciling ourselves to the truth of the scriptures. Yeah. So the main question we're going to look at today is, who did Christ come into the world for? Yeah, Who did he come into the world for? And we saw some of it last week, didn't we? We saw that Christ came to seek and save those who God had already given him. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And these are the ones he was firmly focused on, as was the Apostle Paul. Quick review, John 17 6 says, I have manifested your name to the people who you gave me out of the world. Yours they were. Remember we saw that? We saw that they were already redeemed. Those are the ones God was giving him. Yeah? And you gave them to me and they have kept your word. So these people were already God's redeemed by God's redemption. What was Israel redeemed before Jesus turned up? Of course they were. Yeah? They were. And we'll see more of that as we go on in this series. John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the world. It doesn't see the world. It doesn't see the world. It says who? The sheep. Who are the sheep? Those who God has given. Yeah. Yeah cannot take it out of that context. It's those who God has given them. It's those who God has redeemed were those sheep that Jesus Christ was focused on. Just the same way as the apostles were. Yeah. So who's he, who's he laying down his life for? The sheep. The sheep 
the sheep. Yeah, It's the sheep he owns. And that have been given to him from God. They're the redeemed by God. Yeah, And we'll see that in this series more and more as we move on. Now this is a key for us to really understand. Jesus came only for those who are already God's chosen. It's not about you and I going out and choosing people. It's not about you and I going out and bombarding people with verses and hoping they believe them. God has got to redeem people. Then we point them into the message of Jesus Christ, which is his coming kingdom. Right? And we'll see that as we move on here. But I want us to go back into the Hebrew Scriptures today. You've probably seen that in your notes. We've got a bit of reading to do. The reason for that is we've got to understand some of these truths as they're set out in the Hebrew Scriptures. Because we can understand so much about Jesus Christ and who his people are from what he is doing today. <laughs> Did you hear that? What he is doing today. You know that's a question seldom asked. What is Jesus Christ doing today? Because most people think he's seated at the right hand of God and he's got his arms crossed and he's twiddling his thumbs waiting for the right time to come back. So far from the truth. And we're going to see that in the scriptures as we get through this. Yeah? Because we know from Hebrews, don't, don't we? We know from Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, that today he is our high priest. He is in action. <laughs> he is working for the redeemed. We're going to see it. Yeah? But what does that mean? What does that mean? What are the implications to each of our lives that Jesus Christ is our high priest? Phenomenal implications to understanding that truth. Yeah? You and I will never rule and reign with Christ unless we come to a fuller understanding of what Jesus Christ is doing today. Yeah? Because the implications of ignoring that are absolutely massive in the scriptures. You know, when, you, when we go back, and that's what we're going to do today, we're going to go back and look at the high priest of Israel. This guy, chosen by God, by the way, was the one man who made intercession to their holy God, who is, by the way, our holy God. He was set up as being the one who would chosen out of the people on behalf of those who were already God's redeemed. We're going to see it, yeah? Because there's a clue there for us, again, whose Christ's ministry is focused on. He's our high priest. Guess who he's focused on? The same focus the high priest had in the Hebrew Scriptures. Yeah. Now you may be thinking, you know, what we've taken the time to go into ancient history to understand what the high priest of Israel did. Yeah. Well, this high priest was a type, was a type of the high priest to come, Jesus Christ. So there's phenomenal learning there for us. As we go and look at what they did, it clarifies to us, to a large extent, what Jesus Christ is doing today. So we can figure out some of the truths concerning the high priest's actions and his ministry. Yeah, It gives us, again, fantastic insight into what our high priest is doing for us. And who, and who he is doing it for. Yeah? Because the majority, the many think he's doing it for the world. Scriptures don't teach that. The scriptures we were going to see today teach he is only doing it for the redeemed. And not just for the redeemed, but it's for the obedient redeemed. Yeah? It's for those who obey him. Yeah? So as we're reading these records today, look for the who. Yeah? Look for the who. Who is this high priest in Israel looking at when he's looking at the people. Yeah? We're going to see it's God's redeemed. Who is the ministry of this high priest of Israel addressing? That's so important for us. Yeah? It's so, so important for us. Again, it's only God's redeemed. Look at Leviticus chapter 16. So Leviticus chapter 16, verse 1, we start out there. And the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. When they drew near before the Lord and what? Died. Now you think if they were drawing drawing themselves before the Lord, they wouldn't have died. They got killed. Yeah? Because you've got to go back and read about these guys. Because they made a very wrong assumption. That they were holy enough not to do what God commanded. Because they were the sons of Aaron. Yeah? They thought that because of who, who they were, they thought that they could ignore being obedient. Yeah. Does that remind you of anybody today? 
Yeah, that's what the church, for the most part, is getting taught. They're taught that they do not need to be obedient to God because they've got it all. The package is delivered. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to see that that is just not true. Look at verse 2. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil. Before the mercy seat that is on the ark. So that he may not die. Do you see what would have happened? If Aaron, yeah, the high priest, if Aaron had gone into the veil outside of the way God depicted that he should, he would also get killed. Are you starting to get the implications of some of the stuff we're going to be reading here? Now this is the same God. This is not a different God than we worship today. God does not change. Yeah? He is so into obedience that he would kill the one who would come before him in the wrong way. So watch the implications, guys, of what God is spelling out here when it comes to the high priest. Remember why we're reading this. We're reading it to understand our high priest. We're reading it to understand our obedience in the same way as these children of Israel came before their high priest. Yeah. And he said to them, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die, for I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Isn't that incredible? God, the creator of heaven and earth, was turning up on the mercy seat in a cloud. Yeah. Now a quick remark here. Do you see the price for going inside the veil? Before the mercy seat. Death! Death! So if you did this in any other way, other than how God said it was to be done, you would get killed for it. Wow. Do we realize this is where Jesus Christ is today? Our high priest. That's where he is. Yeah, He's beyond the veil and the holy of holies. For every one of us. So if people die and go to heaven to be with Jesus, guess what? They get to die again. Because they're not allowed where he is. Only one man could ever go there. That person called by God as the high priest. Yeah? And Aaron's sons figured out, well they didn't figure it out, they got killed for doing it. Yeah? But everybody around them figured out, hey, we've got to obey. We've got to do what God says to do. Yeah. So when these people get to heaven and they try and walk into the Holy of Holies to be with Jesus, guess what? They would get killed. But guess what? They don't. They don't die and go to heaven to be with Jesus. They go into the grave and return to dust until the resurrection. Yeah. So verse 3. But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place. Now God's spelling out this is a way... Aaron, this is how you got to do it. These are the ways, these are the functions that you've got to perform in order to warrant coming in. Yeah? But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Now we're going to read through quite a few verses here, so let's move on. Verse 4. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel. Who? Who? From the congregation of the people of Israel. This is talking in the context about God's redeemed. Yeah? Two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Verse 6, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself. Not incredible. He had to give a sin offering for himself first. Yeah? And shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then, then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azel. And Aaron shall present 
the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and used it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the Lord fell for Azel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azel. And Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for him, who? For himself. So he had to offer it for himself. Now this is the day of atonement. This is the one time in the year when this happened in front of the redeemed of Israel. Yeah. And Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his people. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. And he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small and he shall bring it inside where? The veil. The veil. And put incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. Now, watch. If Aaron didn't do any one of these things, guess what? He would have been killed. He would have been killed. And verse 14. And he shall take away some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Can you imagine being there? All this was going on. It's incredible. Verse 15. Then, then, after he's done all that, he shall kill the goat of the sin offering. That is what? For the people. He gave an atonement for his own sins and for his house. And then, now are we keeping in mind who we're talking about? You know, why we're going through this record? We're trying to think of Jesus Christ and what he's doing today in the holiest of holies. Yeah, This is representative of what he's doing. Yeah. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Can you imagine all that blood lying around? What a picture. What a smell. And verse 16, thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanliness of the people of Israel. Not the world. Yeah? These are the redeemed of God. Bear in mind why we're going through this. We're thinking about Jesus Christ and the holiest of holies today working for the redeemed. Not working for the world. Not making atonement, making intercession for anyone else other than God's redeemed. We're going to see it. Yeah? Because of the uncleanliness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions. All their sins. This is so important. This is so critical to every one of our walks today that we understand this and we come to an understanding of it. But not just from a head knowledge point of view. Yeah? We've got to understand it to the point that we take some action on it. Because you're going to see that if the children of Israel didn't turn up on this day, they didn't take the action, if they didn't humble themselves before the Lord on this particular day, they were cut off. Yeah? And that's going to be so significant for us in our walks, in our lives today. Yeah? So it's all their sins. And so shall he do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanliness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and who? For all the assembly of Israel. It's Israel. It's God's redeemed. Do you see that? Now, don't forget, we're looking at this to understand what Jesus Christ is doing today. Yeah. Look at verse 18. Then shall he go out and out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull, some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanliness of the people of Israel. 20. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it 
all the iniquities of the children or the people of Israel. See where the focus is. It's those who have been redeemed by God. And we're going to see it. It's those who have been obedient and turned up. And all their transgressions and all their sins. You see why Jesus Christ is a complete saviour. Because he's done it all. He's not sprinkling the blood of goats. He's not sprinkling the blood of bulls. His blood was spilled for all of us. And it was a complete, complete transaction. It was complete in every way through his blood. And all their transgressions and all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. 23. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting. It's quite a job he had, isn't it? It's all this stuff he's going to do. And then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. Isn't that incredible, the attention to detail God had with all of this? Yeah? Take the clothes off Aaron and leave them there. Yeah? Verse 24. And he shall then bathe his body in water in the holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering then and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself. And who? For the people. These are the redeemed of God. Yeah? The high priest is in relationship to the people of God. They, he is firmly focused on the redeemed. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. Now look at verse 30. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. Isn't that incredible? Why? Because of the actions of the high priest. Do you understand? And we're also going to see it's because of the actions of the people because they turned up and humbled themselves before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute, statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tent of the meeting and for the altar. He shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. It's complete, guys. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be for the who? The people of Israel. God's redeemed. Yeah? And we know today it's wider than the people of Israel. Yeah? But this that we're reading here in the Hebrew scriptures is firmly focused on God's call. God's redeemed. It shall be made for the people of Israel once in a year because of all their sins. And Moses did as the Lord commanded. Leviticus 23:27. So now on the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. This was the one day in the year when all the children of Israel, all of God's redeemed, were supposed to turn up for this. And if they didn't turn up, if they thought it wasn't important, if they thought that their sin was not important enough to get cleansed, they got cut off. Now, again, bear in mind where we are today. Yeah, We have a high priest who is working for us on our behalf. Why? Because we're God's redeemed. But not only are we God's redeemed, we have to be obedient. We have to turn up. Yeah. We have to turn up to him. We have to turn up with a humble mind and understand that we have sin and that sin has to be cleansed. Yeah. And it gets cleansed as we confess it to him, confess it to our high priest who makes intercession to the same holy God. It's not a different God. It's the same holy God on our behalf. Yeah, fantastic. So, verse 27. We'll read that one. No, we do Verse 27. Now, on the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation. And you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. 
and you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is the day of atonement. To make atonement for you. For you. Do you see how important it is? The focus each and every one of us has got to have in our individual lives, I'm not talking about us as, as a fellowship, I'm not talking about us as being the quote, one body of Christ. I'm saying for you. For you. For you. For me. Yeah? That's the way we've got to look at this. It's your responsibility. It's not my responsibility to do it for you. You have got to do it for yourself today. To make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whoever is not afflicted, that word is humbled, yeah? On that very day shall be cut off from his people. Wow. If you didn't turn up, if you hardened your heart and thought, I don't need to do this, you would be cut off. Now, bear in mind some of the parables that Jesus Christ spoke about. Do you remember the, the wise virgins and the foolish virgins? Do you understand some of them got cut off? They came to the door of the kingdom. They thought they had made the right preparation. But they assumed that they had and they hadn't. Does that remind you of anybody today? Don't assume that you've made the correct preparation. Drive yourself and myself into the scriptures to ensure that we're doing what needs to be done. Because so many don't think there's anything they need to be doing. They think Jesus Christ is in heaven and they think that when they die they're going to see him immediately after death. That is not true according to the scripture. Do you see that? They're going to be cut off from the people. Are they the people? Are they the redeemed? Absolutely. But they got cut off if they didn't obey. Verse 30. And whoever does any work on that very day, that person I will destroy from among his people. So if they went off and did work, if they went off and thought, no, I don't need to do this, yeah, if they went off and thought, this is not really important, I don't need to confess my, my sin. Yeah, I don't need to have that intercessory function in my life. They would get cut off. They would get cut off. Now, are we keeping it in context of where we are today? Because we've got a high priest. Jesus Christ is our high priest. We cannot have that type of attitude in our lives. Yeah? But are you starting to see who is being addressed in these sections of scripture. Yeah? They're God's redeemed. They're God's people. They're not those outside. Yeah? God's not talking about those outside. He's got his firm focus on those inside. Yeah? We're going to see over the weeks to come how important that is. And, and have you figured out this is the same God? He's not a different God. He's the exact same God. Yeah? And he expects exactly the same from us. Yeah? He does not change. He's eternally the same. No beginning, no end. No change in his nature whatsoever. So what we're doing here is we're building some fundamental understanding. Yeah? So that when we start to look at who Jesus was addressing, yeah, it's going to fit for us. The penny will drop. We'll start to understand that Jesus Christ died for the redeemed. He did not die for the unredeemed. Again, not a scriptural term, but it's those outside. Yeah, We're going to see it. And boy, is it going to be tough for us to believe it. Because <laughs> the pressure on us on the outside and the theological systems of this world is, says that we should be focused not on the redeemed, but re focused squarely on those outside. That's wrong. Yeah, we're starting to see it here. We're starting to see who the high priest is not looking at anybody else but God's people. Yeah. So the, the high priest of Israel was not making intercession for the pagans. You understand? Yeah. It was hard enough for him to get the children of Israel who were the redeemed to turn up on the Day of Atonement. Never mind thinking about any pagans which he wasn't thinking about. Yeah. He was only making intercession for God's redeemed. Are you thinking about Jesus Christ today? He's our high priest. He's making intercession for the redeemed. Yeah? 
Because we're going to see, as we go through the, some of the sections of Hebrews, he can only make intercession for those who come before him and turn up. Just like that high priest. Yeah? If they didn't turn up, they were cut off. Today, Jesus Christ is making intercession for those who come before that throne and confess their sins to him. Yeah? So who's he making intercession for? The obedient. The obedient. Not the disobedient. Yeah? It's so important for us. So we're going to Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9. Let's go to Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ has entered. Isn't that great? Now, are you remembering this guy back in Leviticus? Aaron. He entered, didn't he? But you know the difference? He had to do it every year. He had to repeat all that blood, all these lamb, all these, you know, all these goats and bulls and everything else he had to do. Yeah, every year, repeatedly, over and over and over again. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands. So it wasn't like Aaron. They didn't have to build. <laughs> Jesus Christ didn't have to build anything. Yeah, not made with hands, which are copies of the true things. Yeah. So do you remember we went back to Leviticus? There were copies of the true things to come. Yeah. But into heaven itself. Wow. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Did you read that? On whose behalf? Our behalf. We should be immediately asking who the heck the hour is, shouldn't we? And we'll see. It's his sheep. It's his called. It's God's redeemed. It's God's redeemed. He's not there for the world. We're going to see it as we go through this in the next couple of weeks. Verse 25. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly. Oh, I should have just read that verse. Yeah. He doesn't have to do it over and over and over again. He did it once. Why does he only have to do it once? Because it was a perfect sacrifice. A ram is not a perfect sacrifice. Yeah. It was just a copy of that which was to come. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every, every year with blood not his own. You realize our high priest today, it was his blood that was spilled for us. It wasn't a substitute. It wasn't an animal. It was his. Wow. His blood was spilled for every one of us. The redeemed. Those called. Yeah. Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, 14. Since then we have a great, we have a great high priest. We have one. Thank God. We have one. Do you realize the mess we would be in today without our high priest? We're going to see it. So we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Yeah? You got a picture in your mind? Do you realize the millions and billions and trillions of light years there are in the expanse above your head? He's passed through all that. He's beyond it. He's in some place beyond it. In the holiest of holies, on the right hand side of our God, making intercession for you. Isn't that a phenomenal truth? How much of a speck are you and I on this, on the, on this globe? Yeah? Try going trillions of light years away from here through into beyond the heavens, wherever he is, and that's where he is, somewhere beyond there. Just think of what a dog you are. And yet, the whole focus of the creator of heaven and earth is on you and is on me. It's an incredible truth. So he's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Again, who's the us? That is not the outsiders who don't care about Jesus Christ, who don't care about God. Yeah, It's talking about us who hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Now, really important, 
yeah the we's and the ours in here yeah really important this is not talking about the world guys this is talking about God's faithful redeemed faithful redeemed not unfaithful redeemed remember what happened in Leviticus to the unfaithful redeemed they got cut off if they didn't carry it out carry out God's instruction yeah let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That is so, so important. We're to draw with confidence near that throne of grace. Why do we have confidence? Because when you and I walk in the will of the Father, when you and I walk in faith and we confess that sin to him, our high priest, we walk in faith that that has been taken care of. We have the confidence, not, oh, I wonder if he forgave me of that. So I'm going to think about this now for the next six months. No, when we confess him with a pure heart, we come before that throne of grace and we confess that sin. He is just and faithful to forgive us of that sin. It is gone. It is gone. And you and I, bringing back up the sin of our lives that we have confessed, is walking unfaithfully before him. It is not walking unfaithfully. Yeah. But you see who this is addressing. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Again, it's not the whole world. Got to get that firmly focused into our hearts and lives. This is not talking about the world. He did not do all of this for the world. He did it for chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers. Holy brothers. Yeah? You who share in a heavenly calling. Who shares in a heavenly calling? Those who God has redeemed. Not the world. Not the world. Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. This is so important for us to understand as God's redeemed. Yeah. Jesus came and died for those who are the call of God. Yeah. Not for the whole world. Yeah. And we'll see that as we get through these scriptures. Do you remember when we were in the Hebrew Scriptures? That high priesthood calling was for those who were redeemed. Yeah, It's clearly defined here for us who he came for. They're those who God, had, who God gave him. Yeah, Out of the world. We're going to see it next week. Out of the world. Yeah, Because this thing that God loves the world is not accurate according to the Scriptures. And we'll see it next week. So when we preach the word, when we declare the scriptures, yeah, we're not out to win the world. Yeah? We are not out to win the world. Was he out to win the world? No, he wasn't. He was out to win those who God had given him out of the world. That's who we're looking for. We're looking for those who God has redeemed out of the world. And you cannot go out there and figure out who they are until you start sowing the word of the kingdom. Right. We already saw that, didn't we, when the Apostle Paul was trying to win some. <laughs> he was winning some who were already elect. They were the redeemed, but he was winning them to understand the inheritance of the kingdom to come. Yeah. Look at Hebrews 2.17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God. Do you understand? You and I have so got to understand that he is a merciful. He has got fantastic mercy when we come before him. And he's also faithful. He doesn't give up on you. Yeah? High priest in the service to God. But look at this next part. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. Do you remember Leviticus? He was doing it for the redeemed. Jesus Christ, our high priest, is no different. He is doing it for the people. 
God has given him, not the world. Are we clear on whose people are? <laughs> yeah? This is not talking about the people of this world who are not his brothers. Yeah? This is not the whole world. It's those who God has given. Hebrews 5.1 Hebrews 5.1 says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. Do you understand that? Do you understand that there is no relationship with God without a high priest? Because most people don't. Most people now think they've got a direct link to God without a high priest. They think they can come before the presence of the Holy God without a high priest. Jesus Christ, stand aside. I'm making my own intercession to my God. Aaron's sons thought they could do that. And they died. So the implications of anybody teaching that and believing that and walking in that thought pattern is dire. It is dire. Yeah. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weaknesses. Because he knew. The high priest we read about, Aaron, knew his weaknesses. And he had to make intercession for himself first, didn't he? And his house, and then for the people. But look at verse 3. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes his honor, takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Look at verse 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you, as he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to whom he was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. But look at verse 9. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal age-lasting salvation to all who what? Obey him. Obey him. Do you remember in Leviticus? They had to turn up, didn't they? They had to make that time, that once a year day of atonement, they had to turn up. Otherwise, if they worked on that day, or if they did not turn up, they were cut off. Jesus Christ is our high priest. Do you understand the importance of obedience when it comes to our high priest? It's absolutely essential because if you and I portray that same disobedience that we saw in Leviticus, you and I will get cut off. Do you remember the parables? Do you remember the Lord, Lord, and he cast them into outer darkness? Do you remember the virgins turning up at the door and the door was shut? That's disobedience. That is not making the correct preparation. No different today. And verse 10. He designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So we should be so clear now as to who this is referring to. Yeah? And the reason I'm building this is really as a foundation for next week when we get into God supposedly loving the world. Yeah? Because we've got to understand this. And it is building blocks. These are foundational truths that we've got to come to an understanding of and understand so that when we come to some of these bombshells yeah, of truth in the world that we see that are so at cross purposes to what we're hearing and what we're being taught by the theological systems of this world that we have a firm foundation in the scriptures and that we have a firm understanding of who God is calling and we have a firm foundation of who Jesus died for. He did not die for the world. He died for God's redeemed. We'll see it so clearly in this book as well. So this is clearly focused directly on those who God calls, isn't it? Those who God redeems and those who then go on to obey him. Let's not forget that. Yeah. Yeah. There's an onus on us to obey him. Yeah. 
there's an onus on us to come before that throne of grace with that great confidence, knowing that when we confess our sin to Him, we acknowledge our sin, we acknowledge it on a daily basis, and we come before Him and say, God, please forgive me. I come to my high priest, Jesus Christ, who then makes intercession for that sin before Him. Not you. All we're doing is obeying the word and we're confessing that sin before him. He is just and faithful and willing to forgive us of that sin and all unrighteousness. Remember, it was all the sins of the people. Remember that back in Leviticus? Yeah? All unrighteousness is cleaned up when we go to him on a daily basis and do that. But, you know, this is not to anyone. You understand that? This is not to anyone. This is to God's call. It's to God's redeem. That's God's job. It's God's job to redeem people. Yeah, it's not our job. We don't make ourselves God. Yeah, It's not you and I bombarding people with verses so that they walk to the front of a meeting and say, yes, I love Jesus. Yeah, God has got to call people. Let them do that. Give them the time to work in people's hearts and lives. And then we help them and encourage them into their inheritance in the kingdom. So next week we're going to be looking into some really difficult verses, as if we haven't been doing that already. <laughs> yeah, But we're going to be looking at some difficult verses. It seem to indicate that Jesus came to save the world, yeah, which is what is taught, as I say, in the majority of the theological systems of this world. And have you ever heard that? That we're out to win the world. <laughs> and then you look at the book of Revelation and you see what the world's doing when he turns back up. They ain't looking to him as their saviour. Yeah. So why do we think that we can win the world? Well, we can't. And we won't. Jesus Christ said it's going to be few. So that, you think that would be a clue, wouldn't you? Understanding that. And yet people are out to win the world. So we'll clear up some of these misunderstandings next week when we get together. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for the greatness of your truth. Thank you for the greatness of your word today, Father. And that we can come to your scriptures, Father, knowing that they are God-breathed. And Father, that we have a fantastic high priest. An awesome High Priest Father, that we can come before your throne of grace and understand that we can be forgiven for all sin, Father, all unrighteousness, as we come to the greatness of your truth. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.